Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about magical thinking. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you want to just know more about me, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. Now, let's get started. The episode today is about magical thinking, and it's really a parenting topic. Magical thinking is a developmental stage in early childhood that's very appropriate for young children and and toddlers in particular. But magical thinking can sometimes get carried over into adulthood as well and, and really becomes revealed in anxiety disorders and sometimes obsessive compulsive disorder. I want to talk about magical thinking today in the sense of typical development, but I also want to talk about it today or how it shows up in less than healthy ways. So let's start at the beginning. Magical thinking is a normal developmental stage in early childhood. It begins in toddlerhood and it can continues in various forms in very young children till they're about really around seven years of age at times. Littles, you know, I always call kids, you know, two to ten littles. Littles believe that their thoughts and wishes can influence the external world. So, for example, if you've ever had a toddler who all of a sudden believes they can fly, if they just jump off the couch that they'll fly, this can be a really dangerous thing for a toddler to do. But it comes from their magical thinking. They see something fly on TV and decide, oh, I want to be able to fly like that. So by wishing it, I can make it true. And that's perfectly normal developmental thinking for a toddler or a young child. Another way that it shows up in early childhood is if I want a puppy that wishing for one will potential will make a puppy appear. So they believe that by wishing things, they can make things happen. So Children who experience trauma, even adults sometimes believe that if a parent dies, that they did something, you know, quote unquote, being bad made that person die or made that person be sick. Especially, this is why trauma for young children around the death of a parent is so traumatizing and so problematic is because of the way the young child perceives the event in terms of believing that they made it happen. 
And as adults, we don't often understand that because if we did, we would be really consciously talking to young children about how they didn't make their parent die or they didn't do what they did, their behaviors didn't contribute to their parent becoming ill and dying or their behavior wasn't the reason that their parents got divorced or maybe a parent left. So children sometimes think that when their parents get divorced, divorced again, that this is about them. It's not about the adult relationship between their parents. And children don't often ask that. They just believe it. And parents are usually in such a stressful quagmire of emotions themselves that they don't think to say to young children, we're not ending our relationship because of you. It's because of us. And these feelings often persist into adulthood. And people then continue to make deals with God or the universe or even just themselves to wish something to happen. So this is part of trauma in and of, you know, like sort of the grief loss process, the bargaining process in grief and loss. However, magical thinking allows people to believe that they have way more power and control over situations than they really do. This way of thinking in adulthood is actually a defense mechanism that that protects them from feeling helpless. So there are so many things that happen to us in our lifetime that we feel helpless about, you know, I can't do anything about something, a person in my life having a terminal illness. And so the defense mechanism is to have magical thinking and believe that I did something to cause that, or if I do something else that I can heal them in some way. So this type of defense mechanism protects us. And remember, the body and the mind want to protect us. The brain is in service of survival, and so it it protects us from feeling helpless. So when we feel guilty, if something bad happens, we actually think and believe that we made that thing happen. And the truth is, nobody's that powerful. You're not that powerful. I'm not that powerful. We can't just think things into happening a certain way. We can want things to happen in a certain way. We can work towards things happening in a certain way. But in the grand scheme of things, people believe that they're way more powerful than they really are in this sense. So when we face an external event that's completely out of our control, like the death of a loved one or a life-altering injury or, God forbid, contracting COVID-19, 
These things produce anxiety, and we struggle with unmanaged anxiety. Remember, remember uncertainty, how people would rather have bad news than they would have to sit with uncertainty. Not being able to know what to do or to be able to do anything to change the trajectory of an, an event makes people feel out of control and powerless. So magical thinking is a way that defends against that feeling by making us think that we're really in control of things that we're completely not in control of. So then we try to control things that aren't in our control. I have a personal experience around this. I have, I, well, actually, I, funny, I have a zillion personal experiences around this, and so does everybody else. But I'm going to use my oldest son, Joe, as my personal experience today and just in general. Because two, two to seven-year-olds, there's just no way around it. They're egocentric. I mean, a lot of us are a little bit egocentric. But young children, toddlers in particular, are very egocentric. And young children still believe that everything in the world is really about them and in response to them and their behavior. So when we start to, as a parent, if we can recognize that, that that's normal development, then we can love them through that and also empower them in transitioning to recognize that, no, you don't really control everything in the world but we love you anyway. So I'll tell you about a story when Joe was about, oh, I want to, he was about five years old. And remember, if you've heard any episodes about this before, but uh, Joe's my oldest son. He came to me through adoption when he was just a little over four years old. So he had had some trauma, you know, he had already lost uh, his first mama and he had already lost his first dad and his sister who had been adopted prior to him. So he had some trauma. And as a little, little boy, that's a lot of loss to have people that are so important in your life disappear. And legitimately, I can say the way his process went, they pretty much did just kind of disappear because a lot of times our systems don't think about how that experience is perceived by a very, very young child. So imagine how helpless and uncontrollable that experience would be for a five-year-old. In the grand scheme of things, he had little buddies that he played with in the, in our neighborhood, and and he was by a long shot not left out in the front yard to play alone all the time. But he and his friends did play up and down our street quite frequently, and I would always tell him, you know, never go up to a stranger's car, and never do, you know, if somebody invites you over to their car for candy, don't go to the car and blah, blah, blah. So I gave him all the typical parent warnings about, you know, being safe and careful about, you know, people, stranger, you know, the, the typical stranger danger, even though I don't really believe in stranger danger because most 
bad things that happen to children actually happen to them by people that they really know. But in the grand scheme of things, this is how the story goes. I would say these things to him and he would say, oh, mom, don't worry. I'll beat them up if they do that. I'll, you know, I can go to their car because I'll just pull them out and kick them and do this and that. And, you know, nobody can kidnap me. Well, he weighed all of, you know, 50 pounds and maybe 50 pounds, probably 40 pounds. And there was just no way in the world, obviously, that this little tiny guy could protect himself against somebody who would want to haul him off and and kidnap him. Important to know, trauma in childhood leads to a child needing to try to control things they can't understand in an abstract world by magically making up their version of the way things work. So for Joe, he had to magically make up this idea that he did have the power to fight off, quote unquote, the bad guys in order to protect himself. And so then me as the mom, I didn't have to worry because he could do this. So in the in the long run, and we laugh about this story a lot still to this day, he's 32 now, that we would play the kidnapping game. And he would say, okay, mom, try to kidnap me. And so I would grab him. And we happened to have a basement in our house at the time. And I would, you know, and he would be fighting. I'd say, fight as hard as you can to keep me from from being able to kidnap you. And I would grab him and hold on to him, and he'd be wiggling and squirming and trying to get away and and all kinds of stuff. And then I would take him to the basement door and put him in, in inside and shut the door. And he would say, let me out. And I would, of course, let him out. But we we played the kidnapping basement game over and over and over again because what I was trying to do was to counter feelings of helplessness and hopelessness and and his magical thinking about being able to control a situation that no five-year-old would be able to control in real life. We would never blame a five-year-old for being kidnapped because a five-year-old is in no way capable of taking care of themselves in a situation like that. So instead, we would play this game, play it out, and then afterwards we would always talk about, you know, other things that you can do to keep yourself safe if somebody were to, you know, try to kidnap you. So this is how magical thinking works in in one situation, and that's just a personal story that is is relevant in our family. But, I mean, there are a million stories in terms of magical thinking. We're dealing with many of them related to COVID-19 right now. We feel helpless. We don't know enough information about COVID-19. It makes us feel like we don't have any power or control over the situation. So then we have to make up our own decisions and ideas in a somewhat magical way. So we feel like we have control over a situation that we really don't have control over. 
so that's that's another interesting you know way of, of people managing their anxiety is by grabbing onto this magical thinking and trying to control their anxiety because they really don't have control. So that's something that we can all think about when we're trying to understand a situation that we don't understand and make sense out of it. We can grab our toolbox and say, oh wait, this is magical thinking at work. So let's talk about a little bit of the neuroscience and the optimism behind magical thinking and why it's it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is something that we need to grow out of and understand and be able to move forward through. So magical thinking by definition is a child's belief that when he or she wishes or expects what they expect, can affect what really happens. So, for example, if a child wants so, so, so much for something to happen, and it does, guess what the child believes? That their wishing was what made that happen. Now, this is super, super cool for a little kid, like, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what happened. That's just where they are developmentally in their age range. Freud and Piaget have taught us about how magical thinking is a stage of development in early childhood. It's a misconception that associations equal causation. So an example of this is that, and maybe you've heard this at a research class, it's kind of a classic example is that eating ice cream cones causes drowning, like more drownings, so for people to drown. Well, when we look at the data about drowning and compare it to people who eat ice cream and people who don't, we find that if you eat ice cream, guess what? You're more likely to drown. So we could make the mistake that ice cream is the cause of drowning, but that's not true. This is an inaccurate association that could allow us to embrace magical thinking that if you don't eat ice cream, then you can't drown. And in reality, why there is a correlation between eating ice cream and drowning has to do with other things that make a lot more rational sense that people eat ice cream when they, you know, they eat more ice cream in the summer. They eat more ice cream when they're around water. And so that's why there's a higher correlation between these two things that would really seem to have nothing to do with each other. The good news is that magical thinking is just that. It's magical. It's not something that that we can't that we control. It's a it's something that we use to control our anxiety, and our feelings of helplessness and powerlessness. So, as kids, fine, typical, normal development. Most kids, you know, people grow out of this. A lot of times we hold on to little bits of it 
in our lives, but as full grown adults, it's not as it's not so cool. We end up using magical thinking to try to control things that are not controllable. So when we think about generalized anxiety disorder, anxiety is a product of not being able to manage our feelings around different situations. So if you worry about something so, so, so much, you over-engage in ways to avoid it from happening. And so all your energy is just constantly going into how do I avoid this situation that's causing me anxiety? Another situation is people with obsessive compulsive disorder. They often have an inflated sense of responsibility and believe that they have the power to control things that really just aren't controllable. Typically, magical thinking in adulthood lives in and around these two particular disorders. And so people with obsessive compulsive disorder often overestimate the likelihood of a catastrophe and they underestimate their ability to cope with a catastrophe. Now let's think about that a little bit because bad things happen all the time. So do good things. And when bad things happen, I remember saying one time, and this is this is I always think back to this. Before I had can before I had a cancer diagnosis, I I remember saying out loud to someone like, you know, I could never deal with having cancer. As if that was a choice. Like as if people said, "Oh yeah, I'm raising my hand. Please pick me. I'll take I'll be the one to have cancer." I remember saying like, "I could never deal with that." Well, guess what? I did deal with it. I didn't deal with it because I wanted to deal with it, but because I had to deal with it. And so people are presented with situations all the time that feel very catastrophic and they underestimate their ability to cope because we often don't have a choice. We do end up coping and we enlist resources from other people, and that is okay. It works out that way. We're, we're pretty res- resourceful as humans in most situations. Let's talk a little bit about actionable takeaways. We want to watch and really appreciate this developmental stage in children. Talk to children about how their wish is not what makes things happen, but it's their work that makes things happen. And be empathetic about how it feels like a child has something to do with an event happening, but that it's not their fault and that they're not that powerful. The world doesn't work like that. Tragically, Sometimes children lose a parent to death or divorce. And I cannot tell you the number of times in practice and in just life where I've heard children talk about how they believe that their parents' divorce or the death of a person was caused 
by their behavior. Like if they weren't so naughty or if they had just been a better person, that this thing wouldn't have happened to them or wouldn't have happened to their parent or their parents wouldn't have gotten divorced. And it's it's really tragic. I even had somebody talk to me about how her sister was diagnosed with cancer when she was about seven years old and that her entire life until she was an adult, she believed that she caused her sister's cancer. She was the cause of it. That's magical thinking that a child could be that powerful to make something happen and then not, you know, have something like that happen. But but in reality, we are not that powerful. And we make sense out of something that doesn't make any sense by giving ourselves the power of that happening. It makes us feel better when we feel like we can control it by thinking that it has everything to do with us. That's the egocentricity of it all. As an adult who suffers from anxiety or obsessive compulsive tendencies, the the answer really is plan, plan, plan. And this is also part of the problem sometimes is over planning and not being able to step away. But Think about those situations that are anxiety-provoking ahead of time because it's much easier to manage magical thinking when you think about it before the anxiety starts, disrupting the thought pattern. So before anxiety starts, decide what you're going to do by thinking about it ahead of time. Lock the door three times and then walk away. And if you really, really struggle with this, put three post-it notes on the door above the lock. And every time you lock the door, remove a post-it note, lock it, unlock it, relock it, remove a post-it note. Unlock it, relock it, remove the third post-it note. You have three post-it notes. Put them in your pocket. You know you have them. You have proof to yourself that you lock the door. Another takeaway is other things that cause anxiety are things like not meeting a deadline. And this stresses people out all the time and creates anxiety. And then people get into magical thinking that they're the worst employee that ever existed or that they're not competent and that they can't, they're not capable of doing the job. But the truth is they they are. And that magical thinking is interfering with them being able to do the job. So if you have a deadline for a task, breaking down that task at the beginning into manageable pieces and scheduling them out in an appropriate way before the deadline will eliminate or if nothing else, at least reduce the anxiety around the worry of missing the deadline. So you kind of are beginning, I hope, to see how this magical thinking works. A third one is 
if you struggle with worrying about the health and safety of your family, I struggle with this all the time. Like I worry that, you know, something bad will happen to my children when I'm away or out of town or if they're away and they're out of town. But we can't control this. And most of the things we worry about don't happen. And what we don't worry about, you know, are the things that do end up happening. We get completely sideswiped by random events that never really even crossed our minds. So if we take reasonable precautions, then that's all we can do. We cannot and do not control everything. And actually, we don't control anything in a lot of situations. Blaming yourself if something bad happens when your children are away from you is a form of that magical thinking that you could have done something different. But the truth is that that's just not possible. The last one is that magical thinking is equivalent to denial. People ignore the obvious situation and they try to, quote, hope their way into what they want to happen. This creates even more stress in most cases. Keep your eyes and ears out for magical thinking in adults and in children. It's super normal behavior and cognitively appropriate for young children to think this way. But with our help as adults and using conversations to explain how things happen is a huge gift to children. We give them grace through this period of life and scaffold their wishes by describing how things happen and unfold in a natural way rather than a magical way. We teach them how to work towards a goal and to see that they don't have as much power in most situations as they think they do. None of us really do. We do what we can. We work with the information that we have. We manage our anxiety by being thoughtful about the information that we have access to. So I want to end this episode by really talking about COVID-19 because I feel like I can't even ignore it right now because it's so much a part of all of our lives and it's really creating a lot of anxiety and it's overwhelming us in terms of fear. And so we kind of have this, this dual battle going on with, you know, it has to be a hoax because my brain cannot manage the reality of how dangerous an aerosol germ in the air could possibly be in terms of killing people. And so my way of managing that is magical thinking and pretending that it's a hoax. But I'm not really pretending because pretending implies that there's a consciousness about it. This is literally magical thinking and allowing myself to believe something even in the face of information. There is this like one extreme version of magical thinking where 
you know, there's just this grasping of, I don't know how to understand not having control or any power over such a deadly disease. While at the same time, there is a deadly disease out there and there are young children. And as parents, we have to be the ones to keep them grounded and manage our anxiety and fear about something happening to our children or to us and to explain to them that this isn't a disease that they can control, that this isn't something that they can magically wish away or if something happens to somebody that they love that their behavior has anything to do with it. And at the same time, teaching them the precautions that they can take in a healthy way and listening to their conversations as we walk them through it. Now, obviously, the younger the child is, the more limited they are going to be developmentally in understanding this. So we're just setting up the practices. But it never, ever hurts. Words are so important with with young children, even when they're nonverbal, to say, we're going to wash our hands now. We're going to put on our mask because we want to keep everybody safe in our family because we love them. And those little things that we often ignore go such a long way in paving the thinking process for children in the future. So if you have questions about magical thinking or ideas, please reach out to me. Otherwise, go out, please wear a mask and leave a life print. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life friend.